Blog Talk Radio. This is Kale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking. I'm Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, February 16th, 2010. It's 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I have got a great lady on the phone, and we are going to have a good time. I'm going to dive right in here because we've got a lot to talk about. You know, my guest tonight is nothing less than a showbiz legend. And considering that she is the firstborn progeny of entertainment icons Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, who would expect anything less? She's conquered the worlds of television, music, theater, film, you name it. And she has a Golden Globe nomination, an Emmy, and countless theater awards to show for her amazing work. She's just released a new album, Latin Roots on which she pays loving homage to the legacy of her celebrated father, and she's come by the buzz tonight to tell us all about it. You know, I am beyond thrilled to introduce you to the wickedly funny, the brilliantly talented Lucy Arnaz. Well, could you just let me have a copy of that introduction, and I can always make everybody introduce me that way. God! I, I certainly can, my dear. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> How are you doing? I am great. We're sitting here... Uh, Enjoying the the midwinter snows and the you know Valentine glow. Absolutely, you know I followed you for a number of years and this really is a great thrill for me. I really appreciate you taking some time Thank to you. to chat with me and subject yourself to my badness for for a spell. <laughs> well, it's nice. You're one of the first interviews that I've done since the Latin CD was released, and that's kind of fun for me. It's like birthing a new baby. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something. Right here at the outset, I, I'm going to hurl myself on the sword and make myself look and sound like an idiot for all the world. When I ran across your album on, on Amazon last week, it honestly took me a good 20 or 30 seconds to realize why it was called Latin Roots. And <laughs> literally, literally sitting on the couch looking at this thing, it finally dawned on me, you dumbass, her father is Desi Arnaz. And so I, I guess my first question to you is, has that been an issue for you your entire life, the fact that you know, when people look at your lineage, they tend to focus so heavily on the fact of, of who your mother is and what she continues to represent that they temporarily forget altogether the fact that your father was every bit her equal in terms of talent and style and accomplishment. 
Well, it hasn't been a problem, but the reason I, I called the CD Latin Roots, and it was the first name I had for a club act when I wanted to put a club act together 20 years ago, was I figured that's the part of me that I get from him, you know, the musical part. Absolutely. And uh, the music is, is the Latin Roots. You know, my other roots I use henna rinse for, but, you know, <laughs> we, have, we, have a different, we have different roots in yeah. there. <laughs> and I finally got my wish. I mean, it's 15-something years in the making talking about doing this and adding more and more and more Latin music to my show because I love it. Sure. And taking, Amer- I mean, that means even American songs, but, but doing them with a Latin tinge because Absolutely. nothing makes a song sexier, you know. And then I have this opportunity to put together a, a big celebration of Latin music in the 40s and the 50s, but as seen through the wonderful arrangements of my father, Desi Arnaz's orchestra, which had been housed at the Library of Congress for the last decade. And that was such fun to do. And once we knew we were going to do it, my musical director, Ron Abel, and I said, okay, no more excuses. There's going to be an album released at the same time or I'll, you know, we'll eat my hat. So we did. The whole time we were putting together this big show for the Y, which was the Lyric and Lyricist series is 40 years old here in New York City, and it's very well respected, and they usually do composers and lyricists and whatnot. And this time they decided to, to tribute Latin music and use all of my dad's arrangements. And uh, it was uh, eight months in the making, so we immediately started putting together what we thought we would do for this Latin Roots album, and we got them to land at the same time. I had product to sell at <laughs> the Lyric and Lyricist series uh, the week that we did it, January 9th through the 11th, even though the the CD really wasn't going to officially drop till the 9th. And did did you have all of the arrangements uh, in your possession already or or no? I had them. I had had them in my garage like my father had had them in his garage for X amount of years. Only his garage was at the beach in Del Mar, which was really (laughs) dumb. Because you got the whole saltwater thing sure, happening. Sure, sure. And uh, I kept them in, in a special storage unit in, in my house in Westchester for years. And you know, I would go through every once in a while and pull out the Cumbanchero chart or the I'll See You in C-U-B-A. Or, and we recreated some of his songs that I love, but we didn't touch even a fraction of what was there. Mm-hmm. And plus, I'd never really looked at, you know, what are the parts? How many, do we, just because you have a score doesn't mean you have parts. And the, the lyric and lyricist didn't have the kind of money to pay Ron to redo all the charts. So we, it was like being Sherlock Holmes to go in there and look through hundreds of boxes of things. So we got some great music out of that. And we, used, we did end up using a couple of the songs that we found there on the CD. And then I remembered a couple of other songs that my father had sung when I was growing up. One that's on the album called I Love You, which he wrote. And it had never been recorded even by him, ever. Wow. And it's one of the most beautiful songs. And I did remember it almost entirely, even the Spanish, but there were certain phrases I couldn't quite remember. And then I realized that a long time ago, like 1968, he had done a a TV movie called Land's End, and that at the beginning of this movie, he used his song that he had written called I Love You, and he gave it to the mariachi players to play around the party at the piano, you know, around the pool, rather, and their guitars, and they're singing in this high mariachi voice, but if I got very close to the TV and listened to this old VHS of that show, I could hear the Spanish. So I could make sure that I was putting the right thing on the song. It was very funny. Wow. Except for this one line, which, you know, Rory Calhoun talked over. <laughs> <laughs> so I put that line in English because I wasn't quite sure what was said. <laughs> this, and that's a gorgeous song. And there's a song on it that I wrote with my son, Joe Luckenville, who is a guitarist and a wonderful songwriter. And I asked him for a tune. I said, if you've got anything that lends itself to Latin, 
please let me know. And uh, he sent me just the tune. And I said, don't you want lyrics? Don't you, didn't you write a lyric for this? And he went, you know, I don't know what it should be. So I wrote the lyric to it, and it's called The Music in Your Heart. I love this CD. I'm very proud of it. You know, I presume that you were able to watch your father perform all throughout the early part of your life. And sure. I believe I read that you were actually able to perform with him a number of times. Well, we did. I got a chance to be on the Craft Music Hall variety show with him once. We did several live performances together down in Miami at the Orange Bowl, Mike Douglas show. Down in Delmar, we used to do lots of variety benefits for various charities and whatnot with Jimmy Durante sometimes, with Liza Minnelli sometimes, with Desi, my brother, but not a lot. You know, we didn't perform a whole lot. I was never on a TV show with him, you know, like a regular series show. And he never got a chance to see my nightclub act, ever. He died before I put it together. I put it together because of him and his music. That's the truth. I found cassettes of the wonderful music that the Desi Arnaz Orchestra had recorded, which is what started all of this. Wow. And uh, I found them like in his sock drawer after he died as I was going through his things. And I started playing them in my car, these little cassettes that some avid fan in San Francisco had sent him of... Uh-huh unreleased recordings and, you know, very rare live radio things at Ciro's in the Palace Room of San Francisco. That's what encouraged me, really, to put a nightclub back together. I said, oh, God, I just want to be in front of a band singing good arrangements and great tunes like this. It's just, this is the way to go. I'd love to have been him, you know. <laughs> and one thing led to another. Before I knew it, within, within a year I had a nightclub act, and that's 21 years ago. Can you talk about some of your memories of, of watching him do what he did? He was, by the time I was old enough to really think about it, it, you know, analyze it sort of, he had sort of stopped doing it with the band. He wasn't really there anymore, you know, so now it's mostly memories of watching him on those old shows. Uh-huh. But as a kid, and even when we did the Orange Bowl show and he got a big orchestra back together again, and he just had such a great musical ear. My father was not a trained music reading musician, you know, like I can read charts. But he had an amazing ear, and he had the smarts to always hire great people. Marco Rizzo was his piano player and conductor for a long time. And he always knew when something needed to be fixed. He, he would rehearse sections of the orchestra over and over again until they were perfect. And I learned a lot from that. It's like, I don't really speak musician talk either, but I can say there's something wrong with that phrase. And we're not together. What is it? Who's, who's out? And then we learned, you know, let's just take the saxes. Let's just do the horns. And no, it's ba-da-ba-pop-pop. It's not ba-da-ba-pop-pop. You know, it's ba-da-ba-pop-pop. It's speaking in, in soul rhythms, you know. And so he was great at that. I learned a lot from that. I know I'm oversimplifying here, and I'm very sorry for that. But, you know, because yeah. you've proven yourself as a performer who can do a lot of everything, you come across, at least on a cursory level, as a perfect melange of your, of your parents' talents and abilities. You know, I know there are 100,000 things, so this is a thoroughly stupid question to ask you, but what did you learn about your craft or about craft period from watching your father? Boy, that's not a stupid question at all. That's a really good question. It's like thesis worthy. Um, <laughs> well, kind of what I just said, a little bit of what I just said, watching him, he didn't have any ego whatsoever. None. Never known anybody to have so little ego, so, so non-narcissistic. He really was always about making the work better, making the work as good as it can be. And whoever could do that was the guy who got the credit or the girl. You know, It was hire good people. Don't argue with what they need to get paid. He's the best. Get him. You know, that kind of thing. And then hire the good people and then let them do their job. What they know how to do. 
Exactly. Don't micromanage people to death. And in my old age here, I've noticed that a lot of the problems that have come throughout my career have been people trying to micromanage what everybody else is doing and not trusting the people that they hired. It's like, well, did you want to do all these jobs? Then do them, you know. And he had really good instincts, so he did hire good people, and he wasn't afraid to spend the money to get the stuff done right. And I just appreciated that so much. It was a good way to be, good way to be in business, you know. He always was kind to people as well. He could he could blow a fuse about a little somebody would be over in two seconds, and then he would be, amigo, partner, come on over here, buy you a drink, you know. <laughs> and that's cool. That's very cool. His tact was amazing with people. That's very helpful in business to be diplomatic, you know. Absolutely, especially, you know, back then when you're, I mean, you know, he was, at, at one point he was on top of the world. I mean, he was, you know. Yeah, and don't forget, you know, maybe that's why he ended up learning how to be so diplomatic, although his father was a politician, so that's a, probably one way you learn. But uh, he was a spick, you know what I'm saying? He was the kid from Cuba who, in the 50s, it was like being, excuse the expression, a nigger. You know, it was not well-respected, absolutely not. My mother marrying a Cuban was a mixed marriage, and in many circles it was frowned upon. And sure. imagine this guy trying to be the executive producer of a television series or, God forbid, run a studio. You're going to walk into every room and they're going to go, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he's got an asa, he does like this, you know. And I'm joking because he never minded people making fun of his accent, and we do it, Desi and I, in a loving sense, because when I do that, I remember the way his voice sounded, and then it makes me feel good. I don't do it to make fun of him. But the truth of it is, how many of us do make fun of people with accents when, in fact, that's a person who is speaking more than one language? And how many of us speak more than one language? You bet. You know? And it's so cruel when we do, if you really are making fun of them. My father said, you know what? Go ahead and make fun of my, you know, if it's, if it's good for the show then go ahead, I don't care, say Spectin, you know, say Finn, I don't care. But it, in fact, here's a guy who came from Cuba and spoke perfect English, I mean perfect English, he had a better vocabulary than most people I know, and he still had a lovely accent, but who cares, you know? You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that, that being a mixed marriage, and you know, the fact that in the 50s, they were the most famous people in the world, basically. When, they, when my mother wanted to transfer the radio show to television, CBS radio to CBS television, the CBS brass and the sponsors and people said, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. Wow. Uh-uh, you know, you know who's going to believe that an all-American red-headed woman like you is married to a Cuban? <laughs> you know, that's the truth. That's exactly what they said. And they meant, like, that's a little risky. No one will watch the show. Jesus. And she said, but I am married to a Cuban. And what if we take a show out on the road, like Desi's got a nightclub act, and I could go out with him this summer, and we'll do some shtick together. And if the audience is like us out there, then maybe you'll believe that they would like us on television. And they thought, well, what do we got to lose? Sure, go embarrass yourself, right? <laughs> and they went out for the summer, and the audiences went crazy. They absolutely loved the two of them together. So then the big wigs at the network couldn't say anything, and they went, oh, all right, you know, sure. Okay. And it worked. Because, of course, the real people don't care. It's all these other people telling us what we're supposed to think. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, it's like anything else. It's, you know, this, there's, the media can spin whatever they want. However they want to spin it, they can spin it, you know? You know, nobody bats an eye at it today. And, in fact, it didn't even dawn on me until you said it that, that yeah. in fact, it's, it's quite true. They, they were a mixed marriage. Yeah. And, and he, thank God, was one of the first people. He did so much for the Latin American culture, which is what we also talked about at the Lyric and Lyricist thing, before Ricky Ricardo on television 
you, you saw Latins in not such a great way. Remember, they were always sort of like those old movies and things, kind of sleazy, lounge lizardy, kind of slick and untrustworthy, you know, Latin lovers that were always, you know, fooling around, lafarios, or they were Mexicans sleeping under their sombrero, didn't want to work. They were typecast as losers or, or untrustworthy people for the most part. And here comes Desi Arnaz, and he's playing a likable, successful, home-loving guy, you know, who's just trying to get ahead, and he's talented, and he's funny, and he's, he's smart. You know, it's like, oh, they can be like that too? <laughs> you know, he changed the face of, of Latinos, on, you know, in the media. Were his parents alive to uh, see their son accomplish all that he did? Oh, yeah, able to- absolutely. My grandfather, Desiderio II, did not pass away until 1973. Okay. And his mother, my father's mother, outlived him by two years. She was already an Alzheimer and terminal arthritis patient who really didn't know where she was at the time. But she lived two years longer than Dad did, and I was her conservator during that time. So it's interesting. But he took care of her for her whole entire life after leaving Cuba. She was in my father's care, basically. She she never remarried, and he paid for everything and got her her apartment and houses, and and, uh, when she got too infirmed to live on her own, then he moved her in with him and always had somebody there 24-7 to take care of her. Wow. Yeah. Most people don't know that. You know, I think that's, I I don't want to stereotype here, but I think that's true of the Latin culture in general. I mean, I think that that they, more than a lot of cultures, really, you know, kind of focus on the family and, you know, taking care of the elders, and I I really Mm -hmm. think that's a... That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. And his mother, you know, was a loner. She she never really acclimated to the United States. She didn't ever really learn to speak the language after all the years she was here. And she she just kept to herself and her Spanish friends. And she wasn't as outgoing as my other grandmother, my mother's mother. And she's a lovely lady, distinguished, you know, beautiful, gorgeous woman. One of the, She was voted one of the ten most beautiful women in Latin America. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was told. That's pretty high praise. Yeah. <laughs> Latin America was smaller in those yeah. days, apparently. <laughs> Still. <laughs> I don't know, but she, she was. He was very close to his family, and it meant a lot to him, having lost so much in Cuba, to come here and, and join up with my mother, who was all about family, and she brought her grandpa here, and her brother, and her sister, her cousin Cleo, and my mother, my grandmother, and, you know, family was a huge thing to my mom. So he, he got to... Sort of, he took in all these people. Suddenly, he was adopted into this gigantic family. It was great. Talk about choosing the songs for Latin roots and putting this project together. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned earlier a, a couple of your father's arrangements that you wanted to include. Were there were there songs of your father's that you knew you wanted to tackle on this project? Yes, I knew I was going to do Cumbanchero because I do it in my club act, and it's absolutely the most killer thing that we ever do at the end of the show. And even even with a trio, we do it now, and it knocks people silly. So. We knew we were going to do that. Um, I wanted to attempt to do Babalu because it's not usually a song that a girl sings. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do it, but I knew I needed to do it in some way. And I have a good friend of mine who's, who uh, also suggested that I try one of the Ricky Martin things, which he just thought had a fabulous, addictive beat, which was the Copa de la Vida song that sure. they used as a soccer thing. And um, so I combined the two. Well, Ron Abel came up with, my musical director came up with the idea of how to do it. But I said, we've got to figure out a way to make these two go together because they both have the, you know, ole, 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 ah, And Ricky says, ole, 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 uh-huh. you know. So it was cool. So we, we put those two together. 
I used uh, a rumba matumba, which is a song I learned as a kid that Dad used to sing. It's a hundred mile an hour, impossible song to sing. It's really hard and it's silly, but it makes a great Latin tune. And they even made a friend of mine who sang on the record, who did background vocals, does a lot of his own recording too, and he made me a club mix of this that is, oh my God, here I am, this ancient old fart, you know, out there doing music, and I have this cool club mix of Roomba Matumba now, which is fun, 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 fun. <laughs> and I did I'll See You in CUBA, which is Irving Berlin's tune, which I've been doing in my show for a long time as a lead-in to this Latin stuff. And uh, my dad used to say that... Um, Irving Berlin was his favorite American composer because he was the only American composer who ever wrote a song about Cuba. <laughs> and in those days, I think that was true. Yeah, let's see. Those are pretty much the ones from associated with my father's stuff. But, you know, one of the things I chose to do with the CD, too, because we didn't have a record company pay for this. LML Music is distributing it with Allegro. But pretty much I did this whole thing by myself, and I wanted to go ahead and Opt for the big 12-page booklet to pay the extra dollars <laughs> because I wanted to explain some of this stuff and how the songs were chosen and the, the personal stories behind them. And, and I'm very proud of the way the little, the little book came out. You know, There's a lot of neat stories in that. So I know some, some people download it on the Internet, which is cool. But if, I hope they fix it so that someday you can download the booklet too. Nice to have when, you, when you're holding the little digipack in your hand. And then the other stuff that's on there, You and the Night and the Music, is a chart that I've been doing in my show, which I love. It's because it's got the Spanish lyrics in it, too. And Blame It on the Bossa Nova was just a no-brainer. And I got Cynthia Mann and Barry Weil, who were the original songwriters, to help me write a third verse that has never been sung by anyone. Oh, wow, okay. It was an idea I just thought, could we take it into, like, the next generation and see where is it now? Where are we now with this family, you know, 20 years later? And she agreed, and I gave her some ideas of what I'd like to say, and she tweaked them to make them better, and, and we have a new third verse. And then I did Johnny Angel, which only came to me the week we were putting all the charts together, and I was driving around in my car, and I had my iPod thing on, and it, and it came on for some reason. And I thought, oh, my God, this would be so cool as a sexy Latin tune. And so Ron did an arrangement of it that is killer. And uh, Promises is a Basha tune from the 80s that I used okay. to do in the show as a dance tune, and pretty much it's straight Basha. And The Music in Your Heart is a song I wrote with my son, as I told you about. Yeah. It's All Right With Me, Something's Gotta Give is a Billy Stritch arrangement of those two Cole Porter, Johnny Mercer tunes. And uh, it's got a real sort of jungle Latin thing going on in the middle of it. Fools Rush In is a Johnny Mercer tune. Again, that I did at Carnegie Hall with Michael Feinstein, and has a very soft sort of bossa thing. Just to Be Near You is a brand new song by Ron Abel and Chuck Steffen that no one has ever recorded. And the first time I heard it, I said, please let me do that song. Please let me. It's like a 50s music theme classic. And then I had Oscar Huelos write some beautiful Spanish lyrics to it. And then I told you about the other ones. And, and the, the bonus track is Leader of the Band. Yes, so that's the one. You, know, you made the terrific, profoundly moving choice to close the album with a very spare, very stirring, flawless cover of that song. And you know, oh, I think it's you. just the perfect cherry on top of this thing, especially when you thank factor you. in the fact that Dan himself passed away tragically a couple years ago. And, that's and right. that song has taken on another kind of haunting resonance in light of that. But you that's know, right. what a perfect way to honor your dad, and what a perfect 
I mean, there couldn't be a better song. Whose idea was that to work that song into the project? In my show, I've been sort of doing a little Latin Roots section. And sometimes it's two songs, and sometimes it's six, and sometimes it's a whole evening. And I always close it with the leader of the band, and usually then into Cumbanchero. But there's always that second to the last number where I pull out the straw hat and sit at the end of the piano and just sing that song as simply as wow. possible. And it never ceases to get to people, and me especially. So I There can't be a dry eye on the house every time you do it. There can't no, be. it's really nice, especially when I pull the little hat out during the little Cuban Pete uh, section of the song there. And, I, you know, it's interesting because I only changed two words of that song. It's all Dan Fogelberg's original music and original lyrics, except for I said he was a mayor's son. Yep. And I changed one word about where my brother was now to make sense of what Desi does and what I do. But it was like it was written for me. Do you have a favorite track on the record? Oh, God, they're all like my children. Sure. I, every day I change. I have so many that I like. It's funny because they're always saying, pick four tracks that you want to have as the listenable tracks on the website, you know, that just uh -huh. four, and then pick which parts of those songs you want. And uh, when I did a radio show the other day, they asked, you know, we're going to play four cuts. What do you want us to play? It's really hard. <laughs> I really, really, really love the music in your heart, not because my son wrote it and I wrote it. It just turned out to be a very moving, fun, real song with a lyric that I'm really proud of. And... I think the Babalu song is eerie and wonderful. Just to be near you is an absolutely stunning tune. I love the Johnny Angel. I, every time I hear it, I just go goofy. I don't know. I got and Rumba Matumba is is way fun. I love them all. I don't know. I, I, I love them all for different reasons. It's too soon. I just gave birth, Brandon. I can't choose it. Don't make it like Sophie's choice. <laughs> I assume you're planning to tour behind this record or at least perform some shows in support of it. Well, yeah. This is fun. Like, I, I toured before the record. <laughs> I had more concerts last year and the year before singing all this stuff than I seem to have booked right now as the thing comes out. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always out there doing it as much as possible. I'm going to be in Omaha. I'm going to be uh, in the Queens Park Theater April 3rd here in New York. I'm going to go back to Birdland. So everybody has to, I guess, Stay tuned at luciarnez.com, and we're putting stuff together, as well as a Babalu tour for the stuff we did at the 92nd Street Y. There's a possibility that that show may be resurrected for a short run here in New York. So I have to wait till I hear about that before I plan any more concerts. So. Terrific. You know, I'm going to ask you not to be shy here or coy, but a talent as epic and as evident as yours is, is it something that you're born with, period, or can what you do be learned? Oh, golly. Well, thank you for saying that, first of all. You know, I think... I mean, consider... I don't, consider I don't know that I know the answer to that. I really don't know that I know the answer, but I... If my daughter was asking me something, and, and you know, when you're a parent, you feel obligated to come up with an answer, even if you don't know, I think I would answer that I you learn an awful lot from osmosis. The good, the bad, and the ugly, you know. I watched two people work very hard at the jobs that they did. They worked really hard at it. They rehearsed and they rehearsed and they rehearsed. And they always wanted it to be the best that it could be. They never phoned anything in. That helps in any career. I know I've inherited that. I enjoy the work. I never, never shy away from the hard work. And I do keep trying to learn more about how to do it and how to do it right. I, I'm still studying voice. I'm still working with the same guy I've worked with for 30 years. And we talk about that in the booklet. But I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that you can 
just be born with it. I'm not so sure about that. Although there are certain genetic traits, like maybe somebody's vocal things are easier to, in order to stretch. I, I, I don't know. You know, maybe your your larynx is laid out the same way. I'm, sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Other than that, I think you just gotta keep wanting to to be good at it. You have to keep. If you still love what you do, I think you'll always get better and better at it, right? I mean, because you're still always exploring how's the better way to do this. Sure. If you're an artist, a painter, anyway, you're looking for new ways to express yourself and be, you, bet. you know, to grow, to not do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, in in preparation of speaking with you today, I ran, I read a handful of articles online and watched some interviews, and I ran across a piece of advice that the great Vivian Vance, your mother's wonderful co-star for yeah. all those years on TV series, gave once gave you. I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit, and and if you were old enough or mature enough at that time to really understand what she was telling you. She knew me. She knew me from the time I was a teeny tiny little tot, and she was my kind of dame. You know, she had a great sense of humor. She was total pro. You could talk about anything with Viv, and she watched me carefully over the years. She watched me go into you know my grammar school, then my high school that I picked because it had the best comma department, and. She came to the performances when I did them, and she cared. And so she was happy that I was getting an education in television, that I had an opportunity to be on my mother's show. But she made a point to tell me after, like, the fourth or fifth year, she said, you know, what do you do when you're not doing this show? Mm-hmm. What do you do on your hiatus? This was our hiatus sometimes three months long. I said, oh, we go great places. I went to Mexico. You know, I went to Hawaii. I, she said, no, 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 no. When are you, when are you, aren't you getting back to the theater? Aren't you doing any other kind of work? You're going to get stuck on a television show for the rest of your life and be typecast as this facasta character, you know? And I never thought about that. Coming from Ethel Mertz, I suddenly realized, oh. Yeah. Oh, I get it. You were a theater person in wonderful plays, playing all kinds of characters and depth, and then you became Ethel Mertz, and everybody, now you're famous, but you're Ethel Mertz for the rest of your life? (laughs) That sucks. You know, so you don't want to do that. I was auditioning for Cabaret, Sally Bowles in Cabaret, within a month after she said that, and that's how it started, and then I started doing summer stock, and I never stopped, never got out of the theater after, and she was there when I opened uh, as the lead in the national company of Seesaw. I, we opened in Hartford, and she used to live in Connecticut. I didn't know she was going to be there in the opening night of Seesaw. Curtain came down. My heart was pounding a mile a minute, and I heard this applause coming from directly off stage left, and I turned my head, and there's Viv standing in the wings applauding. I lost it completely. Wow. So who knows where I'd be if she hadn't said that. Uh, looking back, do you have any regrets about the progression and evolution that your career has taken? I refuse to live with regrets about anything, anybody or anything. I just don't do it. I, I I don't believe in it. I believe that every single thing that has taken place in my life has gotten me to where I am right now, and right now is all there is, and it's good. It's always good. And no, I made choices, and I learned from the things that I thought, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. It probably would have been better if I hadn't done that. But I learned from it, and I was better at something else because I learned a lesson from that. We always learn from the things that don't go right much more, I think, than we do from the things that, you know, do. And um, I, I diversified a, a lot. A lot of people really don't know what the hell I do right now. <laughs> in my life, I, I do a lot of stuff. But, no, you know, you, the you, truth of it is I'm interested in all of it. I, and so I'm selfish. I just do it because I figure life is short. And 
I haven't decided what I want to be when I grow up yet. And I'm almost grown up. <laughs> You're well on your way, yes. <laughs> I'm almost grown up now, Brandon. And so I, I keep trying different things because it's fun. It's almost like the CD is coming out, right? Now, you're supposed to have a big old mucky-muck public relations firm when you have a CD release. Uh-huh. And I didn't want one because I felt it was overkill. Now, come on, let's all be serious. I mean, I don't need to be on Ellen DeGeneres' show to promote the, this new CD. This is not what you do. It's just Lucy Arnaz. She has a second CD. Who cares? Although I love Ellen DeGeneres, mind you. I'd love to be on her show someday. But let's not have a PR person calling these people up and pushing. That would be embarrassing to me. Uh-huh. I don't even want somebody who's going to, you know, put all the little CDs in the in the pamphlets, in the packets, and send it to all the radio stations. I kind of want to do that myself. I want to include a little note from me. I love that you somehow found me and called and asked for this, and nobody called you and said, would you interview Lucy Arnaz, right? Absolutely not. I just love that. You know, and I sent your website a note just on a lark. I, I sent a note thinking maybe it would somehow miraculously get there to you, you know. and sure enough, it did. No, I pay attention to those things, and I like doing it. I like actually connecting with who's out there and not having the 12 people in between me and the world. <laughs> I, do, I do. Sometimes it gets kind of chaotic because there's an awful lot going on when I was trying to do the Babalu show and get the recording made. and We're producing uh, another one-woman show, believe it or not, on my mother. Oh, my God. It's like, I love to keep both of my parents working, you know. <laughs> they're much easier to deal with when they're working. So it's been a little crazy, and it, sometimes it's it's hard to keep up with it all and, and renovate the website, which is what we're trying to do now and all that. And But I like it, and it's fun. And I'll learn a lot about radio stations and, and how they work and who you call and what you go to by doing it. And that's all good, because then I can help somebody else, you know, later on. You know, I, I have followed you for a number of years, and, you know, I don't know you personally, but, I, I, you know, I've kind of read enough and heard enough and know enough to know that your house is probably not by any means a shrine to Lucy and Desi. But, no. you know, I'm wondering what your children know of your parents. Do they really oh. understand the legacy that kind of pulses through oh, their blood? Oh, sure they their, do. Their yes, they do. They do. They do indeed. And it, it was helpful, I think, that I made the Lucy and Desi a whole movie documentary because that's something they could they could see. They were very, very young when I made it. Now they watch it as adults and think, oh, Wow, you know, and the, a lot of information in that thing, and and the truth, and it's very emotional, and it's very personal, and I made it for them as much as anybody is for me, and uh, it, it, it was and, very and, emotional for this whole country. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I wanted people to see because everybody asked me the same questions. That you know, what was it like? What was it like? And they always say it as if they already know. You know, the, what was it like to grow up in that house? It was so fabulous. You know, that kind of what was it like. And I want to say, you know, guys, it was fabulous, and it was tragic and awful and terrible and wonderful, and just like your family. It was it was a family. Don't always wish that you had somebody else's fame because it's going to make all your stuff better. It, it doesn't. You're still, wherever you go, there you are, you know. You bet. You're still going to have yourself. And you mustn't think that our life is so much better than yours. It's not. It's fine, and it is what it is, but look what came with all this shit, you know. Excuse me, <laughs> uh, But anyway, you know what I'm saying. And, Absolutely, um, and, and for them, you know, kids can be cruel uh, at schools and things, and anything that makes you different, they're going to pick on. If you wear glasses, they call you four eyes. Mm-hmm. If you're a few pounds overweight, you're fatso, you know, or fag or something. They're going to make you feel bad so they can feel superior. That's just the way people are sometimes. So being the daughter, the granddaughter or the grandson, it was not a good thing. 
It was never a good thing for my kids. And it, people seem to be worse about it now than they were even when I was in school, and I was not two generations removed. You know, I was already just the daughter of. And people didn't make me feel as bad at my schools as they seemed to make my kids went through hell. So they're not really all that thrilled with being <laughs> related. That they, that they, you know, they don't hold it against my parents, my, my parents personally, but it's not, it's not a good thing necessarily. Sure. Because I, you know, my daughter is an actress, and she's a good actress, and she understands that now you walk onto a stage to just do an audition like everybody else. You don't walk on the stage alone. You walk on the stage with the two invisible people behind you, you know. So it, it hasn't been all that easy for them, but they're smart. They'll live through it. And it's... I recently was given an opportunity to speak to an actress whose work I have long admired, and her name is Robin Strasser. Mm-hmm. And I saw you 12 years ago on the great Tom Snyder's old talk show, and you told a story about her and about yourself that, Lucy, as long as I live, I will never forget it. And, you know, there's such a great life lesson in this story, and, you know, it's a lesson about kind of recognizing what's important in this life and tossing the rest of the garbage in the dustbin where it belongs. You know, I really hate getting people to repeat their stories, but I'm humbly asking you if you wouldn't mind retelling that story for my listeners. Oh, I, I know the one you're talking about, the day my mother passed away? Absolutely, I am. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, well, I'm proud of myself for this story, actually, so I don't mind telling it because it was a good moment in my life. I, In a nutshell, my, my husband, uh, Larry Luckenbill, and his ex-wife, Robin Strasser, were not getting along very well when I met him, and it had been a very difficult first few years of our marriage because they were fighting over joint custody and money, and it was awful. We, we didn't have a great relationship. We both uh, decided, Larry and I moved to Los Angeles to be close to his boys because Robin suddenly decided to pick up and not be on One Life to Live anymore and go out to L.A. And, and um, that meant that she could lose custody of the two boys. We had the right to say, you know, too bad. But we didn't. Larry didn't want that to happen. So we moved to L.A. as well. We ended up living just a few miles from each other. And then my mother passed away after the first two years we were there. We were ready to come back, but my mother died suddenly, and it was a horrible, horrible morning of my life. And I got the news very early in the morning, and I threw myself together and to head over to my mother's house. And, and the doorbell rang, and I guess it was maybe it was 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. And I went to the door, and there was Robin Strasser, who, to the best of my knowledge, had not been to our house in Brentwood prior to that moment. And she was standing there, and I went, Robin, and she said, you just go do whatever you need to do. I will take care of the kids, and don't worry about a thing. And my kids were four, six, and eight at the time, so this was important because I had help, but they weren't even supposed to be there that day, or if they were, they weren't going to come in until later. And Larry was running around trying to take care of them, and I just really just started crying. I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And she came in, and she did. She stayed. I never thought about it for a minute. I just left and did what I had to do, and Robin took care of my kids for that whole day. And it was like, okay, well, that pretty much solved all the problems we've ever had, you know, and things have been pretty phenomenal ever since then, by the way. They, everybody gets along really well now, so, yeah, you know, it was a nice it, moment in time. There's such a great life lesson in that story. There really is, and, you know, it, 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 it's such a well, fantastic story. It's true, yeah. So what's on the horizon for Lucy Arnaz? What's coming down the pike? Well, just uh, trying to, right now I'm trying to make sure that we can get this Babaloo show that we did at the 92nd Street Y back up and running while my leading man, Raul Esparza, is still available. So I'm working overtime trying to figure out if and how that can happen. Got a lot of interest, but it's one thing to have everybody saying it should be done, it should be done, I want to produce it, and then get one of them to actually decide to do it, you know. 
So that's what we're doing right now, and uh, launching the CD and, and making sure people know it's there, all the promotional things you have to do for that, and a few concerts. And then I don't know. I'm kind of keeping the spring free in the hopes that we'll have the Babalu show up and going, and then we'll tour it. Well, I will do my part to promote the CD. It's called Latin Root. Yeah. You can find it at Amazon. You can find it at iTunes. You can find it at Barnes & Noble. You can find it at any one of 100 online CD outlets and, and uh, yeah, digital music outlets. And I've heard a number of tracks on it. I can't wait to get the whole thing. But uh, what I've heard is phenomenal, and I just I, I look forward to hearing the entire thing and reading the book. And I, I just can't wait to experience all of this entire album because it's it's really a great project. And, and Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Oh. You're terrific. There aren't a lot of Brandons out there like you who, who know what you know and, and ask the quality of questions that you ask, and I really appreciate you being one of the first interviews I do. You know what? I, I appreciate you saying that, and I am so, so thankful and grateful that you've taken some time out of your busy schedule to, to talk to me about this, that, and the other and walk down memory lane with me. My pleasure. Before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Sure. As long as it includes the words Lucy Arnaz and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Hi, this is Lucy Arnaz. I just had the best time talking to Brandon on Brandon's Buzz. You've got to listen to this show. It's good stuff. Fantastic. Thank you so, All right. thank you so much. Okay. The phenomenal Great. Lucy Arnaz, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for February 16, 2010. Uh, come on back next week. Great stuff in the pipeline, and you can find out all about it at two websites, brandonsbuzz.com, my blog, and blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. Those are kind of mission control home base for Brandon's Buzz. Uh, at blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz, you can listen to the show. You can download old episodes of this show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. It's kind of It really is mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. Uh, again, my blog is brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of any page on brandonsbuzz.com is a, is a uh, blue button marked radio. You click on that. That takes you to a full radio archive of this show. This is episode number 55. This and all previous 54 episodes will be available in the radio archive at Brandon's Buzz. And again, that's at the top of the page, the blue button marked radio at brandonsbuzz.com. I'm also on iTunes. I'm on iTunes right next to Lucy Arnez. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box, scroll down to the podcast section, click on my colorful puzzle piece logo. That will take you to a page where you can either download individual old episodes of this show as podcasts, and they're all up there, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on iTunes. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me. And I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check hey it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Better when you live on a street of dreams. 
Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 